Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. And welcome again to the Thinking Practitioner podcast, where Books of Discovery has been a part of massage therapy education for over 20 years. Thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. Books of Discovery likes to say, learning adventures start here, and they see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast and are proud to support our work knowing we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. You can check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy and physiology at booksofdiscovery.com, where Thinking Practitioner listeners can save 15% by entering the word thinking at checkout. Thanks to Books of Discovery, and today's in-house sponsor is me, Till, at Advanced Trainings. Are you ready to take your skills to the next level? Come visit us at advancedtrainings.com with innovative self-paced programs ranging from one-hour certificate courses on the most common client complaints to our comprehensive CAMT certification program. We offer practice-changing learning events with industry-leading instructors and a supportive learning community that will take your work to the next level. Plus, for a limited time, Thinking Practitioner listeners can enjoy a special offer. Sign up today at advancedtrainings.com and get a free month of our amazing AT subscription. Explore our extensive library of curated courses, cancel anytime, and keep your credits all from just $20 a month with the first month free for you TTP listeners. Enter Thinking Subscriber, Thinking Subscriber at checkout on advancedtrainings.com for this limited time offer. Plus, it's not too late to join us for one of our amazing retreats, like our walking workshop with Robert Schleip on the Camino de Santiago, our uh, in-person courses around the country in the coming year, including launching in January, our arm, wrist, and shoulder live online course in the new year. Why wait? Visit advancedtrainings.com today. Hey, Whitney, good to see you. Good to see you as well. This episode we are airing here was a fun one. Ruth's Werner came and visited Colorado and got some work from me while she was here on her chronic cough. We uh, went up and visited APMP and did episode 100 up there with them. But today's episode is a prequel. It was a, a conversation we had with Walt Fritz, who is well known for his voice, throat, and swallowing disorders work. We thought, let's get Walt on the phone and just talk this through with him. What would he do? with Ruth's cough, and can we compare notes and learn from each other? So we had a fun conversation with him. Thanks to Walt for this, and we'll share his uh, contact info and such on the show notes. And any conversation where you get to listen in on Walt Fritz is a great conversation. So I look forward to to, uh, hearing all the things that they have to say about uh, working with her. All right. Without further ado, here we go. Right. I want to introduce uh, Ruth Werner. I want to introduce Walt Fritz. My name is Till Luca, and we had this idea. Ruth came to visit me here in Colorado. We had this idea of like picking Walt's brain and comparing notes about working with uh, Ruth's chronic cough. Welcome, you guys. I'm glad you could both join us. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. Because I do do work with the... Voice and throat and jaw and I um, 
kind of made it up based on work with a bunch of singers and then some vocal training I had myself and get great results and really enjoy it and teach it. But then I know, well, that's a specialty of yours and you've really taken it places and have found a yeah. niche that isn't served in many ways. Yeah. And all I did was I took what I was taught and then made it up from there. Like, I guess we all do. Right. And then with, so my primary audience is speech pathologists now, and they're like pretty demanding of evidence. So I've done the research in the backward direction that we're not supposed to go, right? You do something and then you find research to support it. But it's been interesting how much is out there and how much is out there for manual therapy, for cough, for swallowing, for voice, for breathing, and all the areas that I specialize in now. So Ruth, and well, actually Ruth Entel, it's nice to meet you both. We've not had this um, opportunity before. So there you go. Yes. And we're going to, Ruth and I are going to do some hands-on experimentation. Great. We did a little bit. We did a little bit in Corvallis um, about a, maybe two or three months ago. Yeah. And it was, a, I was teaching a class and you came down to visit and the lunch break. It was after class. It was after and class. You did some exploration of my neck, yeah. <laughs> trying to elicit a cough. Seeing if we could trigger um, something. Or nothing I, really came up on that day. We we learned things by ruling them out. It's like there was a lot of, there didn't seem to be a, at that moment, touch or pressure related trigger, at least from the outside. Yeah. yeah. So that's where and we that's kind, of, that's kind of what I do too. And Well, I use the continuum of relevance as my sort of teaching and treating analogy that I want to do something with you, not to you, but with you that you recognize. And whether it's, yeah, you brought it to my awareness or well, that's weird, that calmed it. I don't really care where on the continuum I end up falling. It's as long as you're feeling like, yes, we connected with it. And yes, that's interesting. And yes, this feels like it might be helpful. Um, you know, my work with chronic cough is often um, sublaryngeal, you might say, behind the SCMs. And I learned this as an anterior cervical approach in MFR which is now I'm so much more gentle and so much more careful, but kind of getting my fingers behind the SCM, behind the thyroid cartilage. And we've had some really cool, um, I don't, it, it, there's a, there's a scoping method called FEES, uh, flexible endoscopic something or other, F-E-E-S, that they'll go down up the nose, down into the, um, into the throat basically. And we've been able to do a number of videos where we're recording the internal image while we're, we're basically messing with people on the outside and watching how the vocal folds respond and react and wow. also watching how the entire, you know, the whole, whole interior laryngeal complex reacts. Fun <laughs> stuff. <laughs> sure. sure. That's great. Yeah. What? And speech pathologists do that, like work with the C's during their lunch break, which is really like creepy to me, but they seem <laughs> really like, yeah. Anyway, it's just, a, it's a whole different breed of people. As you guys know, the more you go into different populations, the more, of these tribal rituals you see, and that's one of their tribal rituals. So, um, so that's where one of the reason I brought that up is that's often one of my first go-tos is kind of moving in behind the SCM and then moving medial in front of the transverse processes, staying clear of the carotids, but then moving medial and trying to explore that retrolaryngeal um, space to see if it starts having any sort of a connection, impact, or influence on on the tickle, on the cough, whatever your your you know, however you term your your uh, your cough feeling. Yeah. So you've said a, a bunch of good stuff. You're looking to connect with it somehow, either relieve it or provoke it. And yeah. I like yeah. that fishing. If I get a mm -hmm. like, if I get a cough, I got a nibble on the line. Yeah. Just, yeah. 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 
And, and to me, to me, that's that connection, not just here, but up here. That's that sense of relevance received by the person's by the person and not just their tissue. And that's really my the drum I've been beating for the last 10 years is we're treating humans and not their fashion, not their everything else. So let's just treat them as a person instead of as a tissue. Well, and and one of the um, conclusions that the conventional medical community came to, I did, um, I've been through massive amounts of testing of various kinds, but I went through some pretty extensive testing at OHSU um, a few years ago. And the conclusion, as it has always been, was, oh, congratulations, Mrs. Warner, there's nothing wrong with nothing you. Wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I go, oh, that's good news. Right. Um, no, but I mean, really what they came to was, was they called it a motor neuropathy. Um, and, you know, just a hypersensitive reflex rate. Right. And, uh, and I ended up working with a speech pathologist on learning some breathing methods and some mm -hmm. awareness methods that can help me to control it. If I have lots of warning, it's not the kind of thing I can do, say, in the middle of a lecture when yeah. I get hot, but it is the kind of thing I can do before a lecture to kind of warm things up and and reduce the risk that I'm going to get uh, sidelined, um, you know, by the cough. And that's been that's been helpful. That's been an awareness thing because I, the more I cough, the the tighter I get. And you know, when right. I went to see the speech pathologist, who was just a really nice guy, I was I was up like this, and I was breathing really quickly and very shallowly because that's the only thing I could think of to control. Keep from coughing. Yeah. And it was a process of learning to be, to breathe much slower. I can't have a, I can't, I can't, I am not allowed to take a deep breath. I can't take a deep, full, circular breath. Um, and I resent that with every fiber of my being. When you say you're not allowed to by the cough? Right. If I take a too deep a breath, I will cough. So I can take a deep, you know, I can take a, a, a circular breath, but it is just short of being really satisfying, you know? Yeah. Um, I hate that. And yeah. I'd like to sing and I can't reliably, you know, there's a couple of people I'd like to sing with in my town and I can't make a commitment because I don't know if I'm going to be able to sing. What has, what, what does singing do for you? Is it a, is it a trigger? Yeah. Because you have to, you change your breathing and you have to breathe more quickly in order to stay with um and the sensation of incoming air if it's fast i think is is a trigger yeah. uh, but you know at the, i get i can get to a point where virtually anything is a trigger standing up is a trigger sitting down yeah yeah something have you have you seen the book by james carroll on Kronikoff? no um it might be one you explore it's i mean it's a it's a medical book but they're also there's chapters devoted to the therapeutics of it as well, including, you know, kind of a touching a little bit on this sorts of work that we're talking about today. But I, you know, sometimes you just get little pearls, although it's like a stupidly expensive textbook, but still, it, you know, it might give you just a different perspective too on some of those things. And it, I was just, uh, I was in Maryland this weekend and there was somebody who their specialty was Kronikoff, and they were talking about a couple of things that I've not heard before, specific breathing strategies, and it was something to do with sniff, sniff, something. And I apologize, but I can't remember the whole thing because I, I couldn't break in the class to ask about it. But I just, I love 
I love my exposure to all these different communities because you hear all these things. It's like, that's such a different framework and perspective that I've not even looked at. And I guess that's how I got invited and, and welcome in the speech pathology community because I'm, I'm a unicorn in, in their world of, of using this sort of work. But, you know, you might find some help. James Carroll is the author. So I'm kind of caught. Yeah. Okay. So incoming breath is a trigger. You heard about some sniff sniff thing, which makes me think about uh, a free diving training I did a few months ago, where that's all about breath. It's all about taking yeah. full of breath yeah. as you can, and especially calming the nervous system. Yeah. You know, that's what allows you to take a big breath and stay underwater for a while. Yeah. And they have a couple of sniff things they do to do that, to downregulate. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And that could be exactly what she was referring to. I just, I didn't get a chance to question her more about it. And it certainly does sound like, I mean, chronic cough is like always, I, always you're right at threshold or some threshold. And then, you know, the breathing and that the way you voice that was both poignant and very, you know, accurate that I just can't quite get to the breath that I want to take, you know? Um, and I, that I'm, I would always, so, you know, if you were coming in to see me, I mean, we'd go through a bunch of stuff, but I'd also want to be, Checking out the concept of, of checking the diaphragm or the region of the diaphragm, as I like to say, because, you know, whether it's breath itself or the vagal influence or whatever that might be, and then that whole tie in with the recurrent laryngeal nerve and the vagus and et cetera in the, in the throat region, you know, we, we act like we know all this stuff. And, and it, I know enough to know that there's a connection there. It's like, okay, what can we do with that then? Right. I, I will look to explore with your participation, what are the triggers? Is it the velocity of the incoming breath? Is it the fullness of the breath? What what goes on when you cough? And to really take that apart in a minute, understandable way. Well, what that requires is that the triggers are consistent. And okay. there are there are days and circumstances where my triggers can be a lot more subtle yeah. than other days. Talking about my cough is a trigger, yeah. right? And so we're getting bad information, you know, <laughs> We're getting bad information right off the bat, yeah. Because just thinking about my cough makes me, you know, makes me want to cough. Yeah. Um. But I, you know, I when it was when it is at its worst, it just seems like any change in position, standing up, sitting down, laying down, sitting up, um, a a, a rapid intake of breath is a much more reliable trigger. And then there are these really really weird ones, saying numbers. Hmm. saying, you know, g giving my telephone number hmm. makes me cough. And I had a therapist say, well, do you ever practice that? Have you ever just practiced saying numbers? And I thought, well, there's a, there's a brilliant idea, uh -huh. Uh -huh. but it still is a thing, saying numbers, talking with anything in my face. So, you know, a microphone, which is awesome for a podcast yeah. um, or a telephone. Um, will trigger. Will trigger. Um, but also even talking just after having not spoken for a while, you know, the first words that I say after having, it's like plantar fasciitis and you've been still for a while on the first couple of steps and then you want to cut your foot off. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit like that. Things get stable, they get calm. And then I have to go and say something. <laughs> How does hydration um, influence it? Um, Does it? I don't notice. Right now, I'm very, very dry because I was flying yesterday and we're here in the mountains. And even though it's humid outside, I just feel really dry. So I have been pushing fluids. Sure. Um, I I don't 
notice particularly that that makes a big difference for me. But I'm generally pretty good. I like <laughs> it's partly because of very orals. I like having something in my mouth, and so you know, if it's not coffee, it's water, and if it's not water, it's something else. But I I, I just like to have something moving in my mouth all the time. Yeah. And I'm not overly blaming a, a lack of hydration as like, you know, the thing that's killing society, like a lot of our peers are. But, um, I, you know, it is one of often one of the first go to's in terms of, of you know, laryngeal um, and voice, et cetera, issues is how's your hydration, right? Um, and whether it's in the moment hydration for a fresh, you know, drink, does that affect the cough feeling? Sometimes could even exacerbate it, right? Or maybe the more chronic, you know, the concept of dehydration, you you all you both know, it's just so, it's just so overplayed. But anyway, I'm I'm getting political, and I don't mean that. Me well, too. But but I did notice. So all of this came on for me uh, when I was living in a suburb of Salt Lake City. So I was living at about five thousand feet. I was uh, teaching. I was lecturing about ten hours a week. I was singing in a choir, and I was doing a lot of traveling and speaking on weekends, and. That part of Utah has the worst air quality in the country because it's it's in trapped between mountain ranges and there's gravel pits and oil refineries and <clears throat> this is setup. Um, and that's when there was sort of a, a major change in my life. I went, I I actually changed from really severe yearly um, sinus type allergies, upper respiratory allergy symptoms, that stopped like overnight, like one season. I stopped having runny nose and itchy eyes, but that's when my cough started. Mm -hmm. um, so I think somehow my, somehow those things, that doesn't seem like a coincidence. Right, right. And, but I lived in Utah for 15 years and I felt, I remember feeling when I got to travel to sea level that it was like, it was like breathing balm. It just felt so good to bring into my lungs. So I think that the hydration more than how much water have you had today, but the hydration about your your air quality, um, right. you know, has a lot to do with that. And now I live in the best air quality in the country, um, and it's uh, it's wonderful. And I still have a cough. So. Right, right. So Till, have you done any hands on with um with this with Ruth? Just a couple months ago in that little exploratory session yeah. in Dallas. And again, we were, we found, I found things to work with. It felt good reportedly, yeah. but we didn't find a clear tactile cough trigger or anatomical cough trigger even. Yeah. Yeah. And, Did you uh, try any of the, uh, that retrolaryngeal anterior cervical stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I'm curious um, now in context, I'll let you finish your thought in a second, but I'm, I, uh, I, I don't know. I'm so curious about the idea of working with the disturbance. As much as the symptom, and certainly mm -hmm. even more than the tissue. Mm -hmm. Like, what about it's bothersome to be coughing? And how does that, how do you organize around that when you feel a cough coming? And what happens in your body to, how, that you deal with a cough? You talked about the shoulders being up. Mm -hmm. Let's see the pathologist. And I can, I can often anticipate when it's going to come, which, um, <laughs> like that. Yeah. Right. Um, and how do I organize around that? I mean, we'll, we'll do that in the session. You don't need to yeah, answer okay. that now, but I'm just, I'm brainstorming in front of my client, yeah. which is a, it's a, good, I'm not really a regular client. No, so. no. <laughs> but those are the kind of things I'm going to be wondering, you know, are there, what are the triggers? Can we find a trigger warning? 
if we find a way to trigger it. And if we can't, what do we learn from that? And then mm-hmm. also, what do you do? What if we slow it down, super slow-mo, what happens in your body as the cough is on its way? Oh, yeah. That kind of process to see what we can learn there. Yeah. But I interrupted you while you were going to say something. That's okay. I'm easily interruptible and I easily forget what I was going to say. So it, it, to <laughs> me, it's, it's, it's immaterial. You know, um, the one thing that I do more of now than I ever did was I work with people in a seated position. Part of it was to say, okay, speech pathologists don't have a massage table, even though I'm, I, I, I do, right? But to me, there's also that getting somebody in often into the position of dysfunction instead of the position where we like to work with them. And in reality, I like to work with both anymore, sitting and um, laying down. And because the the dynamics of swallow, the dynamic of of breathing are different, right? Do you have any sort of like surrounding um, the bullseye pieces of um, any um, difficulty or challenges with your swallowing at any time? Um, I am not aware of having problems with my swallowing, but I will. The answer is no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will share with you that I. That when I went through all that testing at OHSU, I told them I I live in fear of aspiration. Mm. And they told me, you are the least likely person to aspirate because your reflex is so hair triggered. Triggerable. And so, you know, I, and, and I am aware that, you know, when you're relaxed and you inhale and a tiny, tiny fleck of saliva gets in the back of your throat, right? And for most people, you clear your throat and it's done. But I might be coughing for half an hour with that. So um, that it, you know, if the, if there's going to be a positive spin, it's that I am unlikely to accidentally swallow something bad for me. <laughs> what I love is the richness that you've over the last twenty minutes been describing that, the feeling, the anticipation of it, and you know, the minuteness of those, and that's. I mean, that's to me that that's the things that I really tap into till is in terms of getting them in in touch with that feeling, and it's not just that physical tissue feeling; it's that the psychosocial aspects of that, oh, the anticipatory effect, and everything else. That it's just you know, let's face it, you're you've limited your life because of the fear of that happening, and without going into Sigmund Freud mode here, you know, it's just so that's the richness of the experience that I try and tap into. And it's like, well, you know. Um, what does it feel like when that happens? And can we do something at all to connect you, not just with that bio, but that psychosocial and everything else that that is kind of hooded in that whole aspect of of what that cough creates? And um, I, that that's that's my approach right there. Is can my can my fingers touch into that feeling? And if we can touch into the feeling, then it's much more than just here. It's happening here and. Um, I, the, the positivism of working with the person and not their tissue, I just think is, is I, you know, that that's where I would head with you is what I'm trying to say. And it's, you know, for, for anyone who ever listens to this, I just want to make it really clear that there's an awful lot in common between living with a chronic cough and living with chronic pain yeah. in the sense that um, I don't feel like I have a lot of control over it. I have some. I take the control that I can take. And it impacts virtually every part of my life. And it it impacts my professional life. I have to be careful about what kinds of commitments I undertake and how I teach. And there's things to say about that. And it impacts my social life. It impacts, you know, uh, people around me know, oh, God, there she goes again. She's coughing again. Um, my poor husband, 
has to live with this. And I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's put a strain on our marriage, but that might not be true with any, any given person. Um, and it's, and I'm, I'm extremely self-conscious about it and it's never not part of, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I don't feel sorry for myself. It's just, you know, until we start talking about how I'd like to take a deep breath. Um, and I don't feel handicapped or really severely limited, but that's because I have taken steps to, to create frameworks in my life that allow me to have a cough. (laughs) And at this point, you know, this has been with me for 30 years. Um, it's hard for me to imagine not having a cough. And I sometimes wonder if this cough is going to contribute to the end of my life. Well, that can, it is, it is absolutely yeah. a social whole body, body, mind, spirit. It's the whole package. Um, maybe I should make some cough art. Yes, you go. <laughs> right. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. We, uh, I had a friend here visiting a few months ago. It was actually Dan. It's what prompted us to do this. Yeah. Right? It was uh, during Diane Metkowski's back jam. And so I put him on the table to show some rib work. And he was actually in Denver to go to the big medical center there, of like a five-day eval for his chronic cough. And they did everything. He had to wear like a nasal cannula around for 24 hours, checking the acid in his esophagus and things like this. But when he's on the table, I'm demonstrating some of my rib cage work, it triggered the cough. We found a place in his rib cage that triggered yeah. the cough. And he got really interested and we worked with it a bunch. And in that moment, he was saying, I feel like I'm getting more out of this than my five days at the hospital. But yeah. and, and we didn't find like the magic switch to turn off the cough whenever he wanted to, but we learned something about yeah, and I think it's really fascinating to what you just alluded to that too. That sometimes we can we can find these sort of back doors that, if we're not careful, can get us to feel like, well, we know things that others don't. I, you know, and at least I'm I'm going to speak in the I way, right? That I may I may be able to tap into that. I've got a patient um, with a, a specific esophageal condition that we can trigger from intercostal work, right? Is it? Is it not the thing that's wrong with that person's esophagus, or am I just finding a sneaky backdoor in? But I, I just, I, what I, and what you just said though, is sometimes the value they get from not just hands-on work, but somebody actually listening to them in a different way can be so instrumental. And even if we don't give them the cure, there's just the sense of, of somebody really cares. And I think that's the the beauty of our shared professions, you know. I think that was going on there. And I think it was also like, oh, here's a tangible thing that connects to my symptom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's wearing these devices around and like, do they make a difference? Who knows? We found something that helped him actually experientially connect a dot or two. And no, it wasn't, you know, there's there's definitely a hubris possible where I go, oh, wow, we're doing something the doctors didn't do. It wasn't that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Have the irony around that. It's like, wouldn't that be weird if this was significant? It turned out to be an interesting uh, insight for him, but no, it wasn't the med. Like I said, the thing he was looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it'd be interesting if you could figure out some kind of nerve flossing stretch or move 
that might take advantage of whatever cross wiring happened. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, it's okay. Just thinking, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yet, I, you know, I, I don't. Okay, so nerve flossing, you know, dogma aside, I think we're doing that when we're working with somebody. I think, I think we're doing all the different things that people do these all these CE for. We're basically all doing it when we touch, not to minimize somebody who can get in with the specificity to say, okay, that's the XYZ nerve. Let's do this. And I, not that that can't work, but I, I do think uh, there's a lot of more broad, you know, overlap in a lot of our shared works, even though we, we, we wall it off as these different type of approaches and different tissues, you know, and how can we not like in Diane Jacobs world, how, how, how can we not be doing cutaneous nerve flossing when, when we touch somebody and stretch their skin, even though we think we're releasing their fashion. I mean, it's all it's all coming along. It's all coming along for the ride. And to me, with my thoughts is, I don't know whether I'm flossing your nerves or releasing your fascia or just, you know, taking a lot of money from you, but can I do something that you feel is relevant? Well, it's like, to me, it's the common denominator. What's the common denominator is, is the therapeutic relationship. And can we build that to the point where, Ruth, you say, Wow, whatever you just did, that's getting just like you said, Till, that's getting closer to something that I, I I've not noticed before. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's can be the unmet that can be the magic of our work instead of it all being about the way we pat ourselves on the back for releasing your fascia, you know? Mm-hmm. And you I, I I don't make I don't make um uh, it's it's not a mystery that I'm sort of an anti fascist anymore, at least that the, the that those old views, but, um, yeah. and, I, and I poke a lot of fun at it. And, um, I, I say, I, I'm not serious, but I am serious. Um, I just think we need to stop all this tissue talk and just start treating the human being. And, you know, the, again, the richness and the poignancy that you, you went out there in this forum right now and, and, you know, with who else, whoever's going to watch to talk about how that influences your life. To me, that gets to more important information for me as a clinician than a lot of the other things that we're supposed to test for. Right. Yeah. No, I, you know, I agree. That said, there's something to be said for, for the, the chop wood, carry water part of, of our, of our learning and experience that allows us to put that in the background while we um, observe in every way what yeah. that brings to us. Yeah. If you don't have that as your foundational stuff, then you're just then you're just like reaching into the soup with your bare hands, and you don't know what you're going. You're saying the hands-on technical skills are the foundation. Well, I think that they have to be part of it. Yeah. Okay. Because I, it, it, someone who doesn't know how necks are constructed is not going All to touch right. my neck. All right. There you go. There's an interesting argument that comes up a lot on social media groups, and that. If you don't know your origins and insertions, that you're somehow less effective as a clinician, and or variations on that theme and argument, and it's one that I kind of always take the counter argument that, yeah, I want somebody who's used to touching, who's used, who knows anatomy, and basically basic red flags, but I'm not sure whether that really equates to being more effective, you know. Um, but that's my counterculture view, you know. What's that? What? There's a lot of semantics in there, right? Yeah. Because we have to define what's effective. We have to define what are the goals for the person on the table. Yeah. You know, most people do not get on a massage table with the goal of reducing tension in their 
in their infraspinatus, yeah. um, but instead to have better freedom of movement in their shoulders so that they can play softball or something. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of drifting from your chronic cough. Um, <laughs> I couldn't follow that drift. Yeah. I go there. Because I, I think about the fact that anatomy as we know it has existed for, what, 300 years, maybe four? And yet hands-on body work has existed for probably as long as we've had hands and bodies. That's and do we really think we're that much more effective <laughs> because of this anatomical narrative that we have now? There's been all sorts of narratives over who knows how long that I'm sure enable people to do really amazing work with their hands forever. And then the tribal narratives, that gets even crazier, right? I mean, you guys know the tribal camps are just so strong and people love that tribalism. So I wonder if there's a thing about our profession because we have to work in such privacy and in such, I, I sometimes I will call it the the sacred pink bubble, right? The, the, the beautiful environment that we create that's just us and the person on the table. Um, that that sense of isolation makes us cling to our tribe much more strongly. There's something that because mm-hmm. because because there are so few people who understand what our life is. Yeah, you know. Right. Well, any other things you want to touch on, Walt? Before we no, I you know there's certainly my you know my mind just goes buzzing in terms of things that I'd love to do with you, try with you, but that's not that's not the point of what we're doing here. I just uh, well, and if I. You're- Portland. Yeah, you're next. I get her first. I was, I, w- I was just in Eugene not long ago at all. So a couple no, I saw ago, that. So. I, thought of, I thought of reaching out to you and I'd yeah. yeah. Up and if you want some more local help, just send me an email and I could kind of maybe hook you up with one of my teaching assistants who's not yeah. that far, I don't think. So yeah. Um I yeah, no, it's it's a like you alluded to it, some at some level it seems so not to minimize this, it seems minimal compared to some of those massive chronic pain things that people exist with, but yet it's interfering with the quality of your life to an equal, if not greater magnitude as everybody that we see on our tables every day, you know, and I, um, I, I, I'm sorry for the, what you're going through, because it's not an easy thing. Um, thank you. It isn't. And I feel blessed that I have the ability to create a life that accommodates. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe someday there will be a day where I don't have to introduce every class saying, hi, you need to know I live with a chronic cough. Um, I'll try and keep it under control, but just so that you know, because <laughs> yeah. I have to introduce myself every single time that way so that people don't worry about me. Mm-hmm. And I have had classes mm-hmm. come to a screeching halt because I got in a jag and I couldn't stop. And mm-hmm. that's horrible. That's mm-hmm. horrible. I never want that to happen again. Okay. Well, Anyway, well, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to meet you in person. Yes, I look forward to that. Yes. And thanks for including me in the conversation. I, I feel honored to be uh, to be invited, to have been invited. Yeah. Really glad it worked out, and I really appreciate the points you've made. I can't wait to try them. And Great. Work. All right. Cool. All right. Thank Take you. care. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. The Thinking Practitioner podcast is supported by ABNP, Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABNP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package including individual liability insurance, free continuing education and quick reference apps, online scheduling and payments with PocketSuite, and much more.
and ABM PCE courses, podcast, and the Massage and Bodywork magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession, including Till and myself. Thinking practitioner listeners can save on joining ABMP at abmp.com forward slash thinking. So thank you to all of our listeners and to our sponsors. You can stop by our sites for the video, show notes, transcripts, and any extras. You can find that over on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com. And Till, for you, where can they find that? advanced-trainings.com. All right. And if you have questions or things you'd like to hear from us uh, or hear us talk about, you can just record a short a short voice memo on your phone and email it to us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com. Or you can look for us on social media under our names. I'm at Whitney Lowe. And Till, where can people find you? Till Luca, L-U-C-H-A-U. And you can rate us on Apple Podcasts as it helps other people find the show. That really does make a difference. Take a moment, if you don't mind, scroll down and hit rate. Or you can hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Podbean, or wherever else you listen. Please do share the word and tell a friend.